Welcome to All Shall Be Well, a conversation hosted by InterVarsity's women in the academy and professions. Giving voice to women seeking to live fully into their God-given callings and be a redeeming influence, whether in the university or beyond. This is Caroline Trissick, and on this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond, our guest is Reverend Twanda Prelo. Twanda and I met last year while we were both in the graduate counseling program together at Messiah College. She models strong practices of self-care and deep faith, and I continue to appreciate the way in which she offers her story to help those around her grow. A native of Baltimore, Maryland, as well as a pastor, teacher, preacher, mother, wife, and student, Twanda brings a wealth of wisdom and pastoral care to our conversation. As we discuss the importance of self-care and finding rest and joy in the midst of all the roles we hold as women. Twanda also offers thoughts about what it means to own our story, as well as how we can engage well in much-needed conversations around race and justice. I hope you'll find this conversation as meaningful as we did. Well, thank you so much, Reverend Twanda, for being with us on the podcast today. With most of our audience being women in academia, can you begin by sharing a little bit about your current vocation as well as your educational background and how you ended up where you are today? Okay. Um, thank you, Caroline. It's a blessing being here with you today. I thank you for inviting me. Currently, I am a pastor serving a church in Baltimore City. I have an undergrad degree in accounting from Morgan State University, where I graduated in 2003. I was kind of late going back to school. That's one of my passions. That's my first passion. It's accounting. I have a Master of Divinity degree from Lancaster Theological Seminary, where I graduated in 2010. And currently I am a student at Messiah College in Pennsylvania, where I'm doing a master's in mental health counseling. Great. And what led you to pursue a master's degree in counseling in addition to your MDiv at this point in your life? Oh, that's a good question. What led me to pursue a degree in counseling is clergy burnout. Mm. Seeking healing and wholeness for myself is what led me to pursue a master's degree in counseling. Currently, I'm a pastor serving a church in Baltimore City, as I previously stated. And it's important for me to say that because that had an impact. One of the reasons why I'm pursuing a master's degree in the counseling. Um, in 2018, I was enrolled in, in United Theological Seminary pursuing a doctorate of ministry <laughs> degree. Okay. Yes. And during that time, I suffered clergy burnout and took a three-month Sabbath leave from the church. And during that time, I sought help from a counselor. And so after three months, as I thought about going back into the church, I felt God kind of pulling me into the direction of counseling, that as I sought my healing from clergy burnout, I wondered how many pastors feel the same as I did before I had to take a break. And so I switched my major and decided to pursue a degree in mental health counseling. And maybe I can be a blessing to other pastors who might have suffered or don't want to get to the point where they experience clergy burnout. Yeah. And can you say a little bit more about what you mean by clergy burnout? That's a good question. Getting to the point where I had nothing left to give. 
Mm-hmm. I had nothing left to give. I had nothing left to give my family. I had nothing left to give the ministry. I felt like I had given it all. I felt like I had suffered a crash, like I had hit a brick wall. So it was more than just not having anything to give because then somebody could say, well, I mean, you can just go and seek God's word. It was more than that. It was it was getting to the point where I did not want to get up. I did not want to do ministry. I felt like just throwing in the towel. I felt like, you know what, if something doesn't happen, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to quit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I suffered clergy burnout. I had hit a brick wall. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think one of the things you mentioned was having nothing left to give that idea of pouring yourself out literally like every day for your parishioners, for the church members, and then feeling exhausted, having nothing left over for your family makes a lot of sense. Do you think that there's any particular piece about gender that plays a role, particularly for like women pastors? Do you think there are higher rates? I mean, this is just a, a guess. Maybe, you know, actual statistics. But I'm curious just if being a woman pastor plays any role in burnout. I don't know any statistical background on that. I can't speak from that standpoint. But one thing I do know is that, you know, as a woman pastor, it's kind of unique because I think when you have men who are in ministry, their wives tend to be in ministry with them. You know, their family kind of come along with them in ministry and not saying that some women don't experience that. But I think as women, sometimes we stand alone by ourselves. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah. we we are the leader in the church. But when we come home, we take on a totally different role. Like a male who is a leader in the church, when he come home, he has that role also at home. But when we get home as women, we have to switch hats, right? Especially when we're married, right? We switch hats. And now we have our husband who is the head of the household if we're in a traditional home. And then we're switching hats. We have our family, we have our our marriage, we have our children. We have all of these hats that we are playing. And so for me, it got to the point where I was just in so many different areas that I just needed to stop. Right. Yeah. Like all the different roles you're playing and I've heard the analogy of like plates in the air or balls in the air. And there are so many more, I think for women than there are for men, just because we, we literally can do it all sometimes, but we also cannot do it all. That's what I'm hearing you say that there's this point where you were about to be totally burnt out. So for you, you pursued counseling for yourself and then that led you or inspired you to pursue a master's degree in counseling so you can also serve others. I'm curious too then, in addition to your educational background, if you could share a little bit about your faith journey and how that has shaped you as well. Yes. Well, I grew up in the church. I come from a Christian family, a church where most of my family attended. That's my foundation. That is Mm -hmm. where I was nurtured in the faith as a young girl. However, there was a period in my life, I'll say my young adult life, when I did not attend church. So I was mm-hmm. out, I was not always in church as a young adult in those years. And was God absent in my life? No, God was still operating in my life. As I look back, I can see where God was leading me in different ways. But there were times when I was not present for God, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. I wasn't present. So however, it was in 1996, during a difficult time in my life, I turned my attention back to the church. And I would like to say the God of my family became my God. 
because it was no longer about me going to church because my family attended. It was about my personal relationship with God. And it was there I was nurtured in the faith where I found healing from some past hurts and received my call into ministry. And over the years, that calling has taken different shapes in my life. I mean, I've served in youth ministry at one point of time, and then I've transitioned from youth ministry into pastoral ministry. And eventually I want to go into counseling. And so that call has taken different shapes in my life as I have matured in my faith. Mm. Now, growing up geographically, were you always in the Baltimore area? Always in the Baltimore area. I was born in Baltimore City. Right now, I live in Parkton, Maryland, which is actually about 35, 40 minutes north of Baltimore City, but born and raised in Baltimore City. Yeah. So tell me what you love about Baltimore. Crabs. (laughs) 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 No, but, but Baltimore is, I don't know, Baltimore is just very diverse. I mean, you have the east side, you have the west side, which you have a different culture on the west side than you have on the east side. You have south Baltimore, you have north Baltimore. Baltimore is just diverse. Baltimore is a good city to live in. I mean, I know sometimes we hear so much negative stuff about Baltimore City, but Baltimore is a really good city to live in. Good people, a lot of good people have come out of Baltimore. Yeah, you know that I live about probably an hour and a half north in Pennsylvania of Baltimore. And you definitely hear things on the news. They spin it as this dangerous place. And so, you know, I know a lot of friends through InterVarsity that we have some mutual friends that are also serving in Baltimore. And I just always love to hear the perspective of people who actually live in the city because they tell a different story than the news often does. And so I'm grateful to hear what you love about Baltimore in addition to crabs. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I think you mentioned self-care earlier or just that idea of caring for yourself well so you don't become burned out. Can you say more about your value for self-care and how you would define self-care? Okay, self-care means everything to me, not just on the outside, but on the inside and not just on the inside, but on the outside. And what I mean by that is taking care of the whole self, mind, Mm -hmm. body and spirit. And I like to say, when we care for ourselves, it's when we can show up for others. We can't show up for others and give um, ministry, give our family, give our work 100% when we're not showing up for ourselves. So Mm -hmm. self-care to me means showing up in your own life. That's what it means to me. It means showing up in your own life. It means putting you on your calendar. I think too often we have a calendar that we live into, especially as professionals, especially as women. And we have everything on our calendar except ourselves. So for me, self-care is putting you on that calendar. And how does that look practically? Sometimes it means going through my calendar and actually putting myself on the calendar, literally putting Two to three, me. 10 to 12, me. Six to eight, me. Blocking off time Mm -hmm. in your calendar for yourself. 
So what would me time look like? Because I mean, I think we get the messages from all around us in our culture. Like some places would say like me time is like going to the spa or whatever. I don't know. Maybe that's just white women, but I don't don't know. Yeah. I'm curious what, what me time looks like for you, like how that actually plays out. Okay. Me time for me could be me getting up in the morning and exercising. I used to, well, I belong to a group called MBS Fitness, Mind, Body, and Spirit. And so before the pandemic, before all of this happened and we had to social distance, we would exercise at 5.30 in the morning. And so we would show up 5.30 in the morning and exercise. And it was a group of people that got together. And we not only focused on the body, but we also focused on the spirit. It was about the whole person. So Mm -hmm. for me, showing up for myself means exercising. It means getting away by myself and, and reading a book. It means sometimes putting on music and just dancing when I don't feel like it. It might mean sometimes taking a three day retreat. One time I took a three day retreat by myself. I went away by myself. So it means being alone. Sometimes it means getting together with girlfriends and laughing, you know, reminiscing with girlfriends and laughing and and sitting around the table and eating with your friends. Uh, It means sometimes showing up really and being with your family. That's Mm -hmm. part of, that's part of me time, you know, Mm -hmm. taking time. Hey, in the middle of the day, showing up, let's go out to lunch. You know, let's go out to dinner. It means shutting down the computer cutting off the phone sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, me time could be different and different. It's different for everybody. Let me put right, it like right. that. It's different for everybody. It's where you find healing. It's where you find laughter. It's a space where you find time to breathe. Mm-hmm. And I love that you mentioned so much of your me time is actually in community. So it doesn't necessarily mean the, the me time has to be solitary or, you know, sometimes for some folks, it might be alone time. Right. But in other cases, it's laughing with people. It's putting on music and dancing. And I love that you brought up dancing because earlier in the pandemic, listened to a short video by, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Bessel van der Kolk. He's a trauma psychologist. He wrote the book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, which you might be familiar with. Anyway, he was talking about the importance of singing together in the midst of trauma and how just that being able to connect with other people through music or like co-regulating with people can help us kind of find peace or joy in the midst of difficult times. And so that inspired me to actually make a choice to dance every day with my husband. And so yes. during, this, during this pandemic, that's one yes. of the things we've done at the end of the day, or sometimes during the middle of the day, but mostly at the end of the day, it's only takes five minutes, you know, to pick one song and, and dance together. And sometimes it felt a little ridiculous, but also it's brought so much joy and connection and in a very small way has been a, a means of self-care for us both. So I love that you brought up dancing and laughing and just being with people, but also taking some time for yourself, exercising, moving your body, uh, and that connection between the mind and the body and the soul is super important. Yes, it is. It is. And just like you said, that me time is not necessarily just being alone. It's really finding those spaces where you find healing. And sometimes Mm -hmm. those spaces are with other people. 
Hmm. Yeah. The phrase that comes to mind for me is life-giving. So healing, like you're saying, healing or life-giving things, things that aren't leading you to burn out, things that aren't taking from you, but instead giving you back some of the life, that joy. So do you have any thoughts then in particular on how women, professional women or women in higher ed, especially with all those roles we were talking about earlier, all the roles that we're holding right now, how we can integrate self-care into our lives? Yes. There is this book called Rhythms of Rest, Finding Mm -hmm. the Spirit of Sabbath in a Busy World. And so I read this book on my Sabbath leave. And in her book, she talks about dispelling the legalistic idea of Sabbath, the idea of seeing Sabbath as a day of rest. And she talks about finding time to rest, whether for an hour, a morning, or a whole day, and how that can change your perspective about the way you approach life. So when I look at Sabbath, when I look at that time of how we can integrate self-care into our lives, I like to say too often we view self-care, we view Sabbath as an event on our calendar. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is it is a day on our calendar, whether it's a Monday, a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, and we can't wait until the day that day to come where, you know, that day where I can have self-care, that day when I can find rest. But I want to encourage women, as Shelley Miller talks about in her book, find self-care, find Sabbath on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I call it Sabbathine. It's just a word that I came up with. <laughs> I sure. call it Sabbathine. Daily finding ways to bring self-care to bring Sabbath into your life. Finding ways to step back on a daily basis, whether it's getting up from your desk and taking a 10 minute walk by yourself to breathe, to just Mm. stop, just to be, to stop in the middle of the day and put on one of your favorite songs and dance by yourself, to let go of the past hour right? You know, just let it go. Stopping on the way home on the side of the road from work and taking 10 minutes to kind of breathe and do a breathing exercise to kind of wash away what you did at Mm -hmm. work so that when you come home, you can be your full self for your family. So integrating that self-care into your lives. I don't like to look at it as I'm looking for a time to take self-care or to do self-care, or to participate in self-care, or a time for my Sabbath rest, I like to say, I like to take moments Mm. during my day, small moments, find that time, get into what Shelly Miller called rhythms of rest, Mm -hmm. finding the spirit of Sabbath in a busy world, because we live in a busy world, and we got noise all over us. And guess what? The noise does not take time. The noise does not look for times in our lives to show up. It's there all the time. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So I'm hearing you say one earlier, schedule in your me time, but also to kind of get in these patterns of just sporadically or spontaneously taking little moments of Sabbath, the Sabbath thing, as you called it throughout your day. So not just being like, I can't take any rest now. I have to wait until five o'clock till my calendared me time, but taking those moments throughout can give us strength to make it through until the more scheduled time. 
Exactly. And then you're almost teaching yourself, you're training your brain and body to then naturally, eventually you'll just take that time to breathe or dance or have those moments. It'll be more automatic than it would be in the beginning. Exactly. Because too often we can't wait for that vacation. We can't wait for this to happen, but why wait for that to happen when in the midst of waiting, you're so tired. And Mm -hmm. when we're tired, we get irritable. Oh, yeah. And when we get irritable, we can't do our best. Right. And especially in positions where you're with people. So you as a pastor or like professors who are working with students or any other professional career doctors being with patients, so many places where you need to be poured into yourself so that you have anything to offer anybody else around you. Yes. So I'm curious too, then, as many of us are engaging right now in much needed conversations around race and justice, what thoughts you might offer specifically to women of color on how to care well for themselves in the midst of these conversations? In the midst of the conversations, especially to my sisters of color, what I want to say, one way in which you can care for yourselves in the midst of it is to own your story. Mm. and own all of your story. That's a way to care for yourself in these conversations because when we don't tell the whole story, we're not being true to who we are. When we don't tell the whole story, when we don't show up in all of who we are. And I want to say all of who you are, the color of your skin, all hues and shades in which we come in, show up and be your authentic self. That's Mm. one way to take care of yourself in the midst of the conversations. And then another way to take care of yourself is take time to step back from it all. You have to take time to breathe in the midst of it all. I know it might be hard using that word breathe at a time when mm-hmm. we are when we all are hearing the words I can't breathe across our nation, but it's important that we step back and take the time to breathe so that we are there to stand up for those who have lost their breath. We have to take care of ourselves in the midst of the conversation. Yeah, and I think there's a decision-making process for people deciding when is the right time to stand up and speak out and when is the right time to take care of yourself. What would you say to that question? Again, for women of color, and I have some friends that have really been wrestling with feeling obligated to share their story, particularly with white people who don't understand or have no idea about the experiences that people of color go through in our country. What would you say to that feeling of, or that decision about feeling obligated to share your story, but also the obligation to yourself to care well for yourself in this time? Let me see how I can answer that. What came to my mind when you said that? And I kind of honed in on the word obligation, Mm. feeling obligated to speak. And so what came to my mind is that it's not your responsibility to heal the other, Mm -hmm. that it's their responsibility to one, hear And it's their responsibility to, to learn and to sit in the heart spaces. Mm -hmm. And so I want to say, I think you talked about when is it time to speak up and when is it time to step back? I think that's what you said. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When is it time to speak up and when is that? I think that's going to look different 
for everybody when it's time to speak up. I know for me, I only can take but so much. And you have to listen to yourself. You have to listen to that voice inside of you. Sometimes we disregard it, but we have to listen to the voice of God that's in us. For me, I only can take but so much. So for me, I have to show up and then I have to back up. Because mm-hmm. if we don't back up, we don't give ourselves time to process what's going on. So we're in this time and space right now where so much is going on. And so we have to allow ourselves time to step back in the midst of it, process it, and then come back out. Mm. You have to do that in the midst of it. Those are some wise words. And I think there is something within each of us, right? That knows, how did you phrase it? The voice of God within you. Yeah, the voice of God that's in us, that's speaking to us. All of us have it, but Mm -hmm. we have to listen to it. And sometimes we're so eager to get out. And I know all of us is eager to get out and stand up and speak up because there's so much going on. And we have so much emotions that's going on around what's going on in our society. But we have to step back at some point, process it, Mm -hmm. and then go back out. Hmm. And then kind of along with that, I'm curious too, if you have any thoughts then for white women on how we can be good allies in pursuing justice. I would say, let me, let me say this. This is a way that I can answer that. And it kind of goes into one of the questions that you gave me before, right? Okay. But I'm going to answer that question with this. And that is when you see something, say something. Mm. There are places where we are called to stand in. And sometimes those places are hard because of who we are as women. And you ask me as far as white women. And sometimes as white women, it's hard to stand with your sisters of color because sometimes there's this guilt that if I stand over here, then I'm neglecting my people over here. So it's hard because to seek justice sometimes costs us something. Mm hmm. And so, however, we need to stand in those hard places. And as my white sisters or white women, I'm going to say, when you see something, say something. In the Baltimore, Washington Conference of the United Methodist Church, where I serve, we held an immersion walk and rally in Baltimore City called See Something, Say Something. And the idea was that every day all of us is confronted on some level of injustices in our spaces. And when we see things that are wrong, we need to speak up. So to professional women and white women and women of color who are in those places where your voice matters and hold weight, speak up and be part of the change. Don't hold back. When you see something, say something. Some of my, I'm going to say white Caucasian colleagues Women who have seen some things happen have actually spoke up like they might come to me and ask me to Wanda, how are you doing? That's one way that you can support your sister. Ask them, how are you doing? I see you. How are you doing? That's one way in which you can support Yeah. So sometimes just recognizing and, and saying, I see you and asking how you're doing can be really meaningful is what I'm hearing you say. 
Exactly. And then obviously speaking up in the moment where you see something that's not okay to call it out. Yeah. I think a lot of us probably have to practice that, you know, like we just never, I don't know, not never, but we need to do better essentially in speaking up in those moments. In the moment. Right. And right. And not when you're removed from it, not when you are, you as a white woman is now you and that, that black woman, now you guys are by yourself and you go, Hey, I saw that, you know, at the, but, but do it in the moment, do it when you see it in that moment, stand mm-hmm. up when you see it, say something in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate that you brought up that way that we can work toward justice on a daily basis. It's in those small moments. It doesn't have to necessarily be some huge, massive thing that we're doing, but speaking up in those moments when it matters, when it counts. Exactly. Because a lot of us are sometimes looking for those big moments, but Mm -hmm. let me tell you those little moments when, when you see it, if you, if you see somebody or heard somebody say something against a black woman or cause some kind of microaggression um, right. towards them at that point, now is the time to speak up. Hey, I heard what you said, or I saw what you said, or this is not right. Say it in the moment. It might cost you something. Let me tell you, justice cost us something, but I'm reminded mm-hmm. that it also cost Jesus something. It cost him his life. You know, the cross was about justice. And so it's going to cost us something when we stand in hard places. It might cost you a friend, but guess what? You're also saving somebody. You're saving a friend. You are contributing to the whole. Yeah, and that's absolutely worth the cost for sure. It is. Um, Earlier you mentioned the phrase, own your story. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean by own your story? Wow. Caroline, I think a lot of us have a story that we don't tell. Mm -hmm. A lot of us have a story that we have held inside of us that is a part of who we are. And when I mean own your story, what I'm saying is own every part of who you are. That's your whole story. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that is if your story is, and I'm talking to women now, you know, if my story or if your story is, if I can go into this is let's say that I was molested in the past. Let's say that I was in an abusive relationship. Let's say that I was on a job where I was treated unfairly, where, you know, I was treated unfairly, that that racism came up, right? Mm -hmm. And I was treated unfairly. I was in that type of space. Let's say my story is I was divorced. Let's say my story is I had kids at a young age and I was a teenager. And sometimes we get to the point where we don't want to tell our whole story. You know, Mm -hmm. we just want to tell the part of the story where we feel as though is going to make us look good in other people's eyes. Right. But tell the whole story, because all of that is part of who you are. And all of that made you who you are today. 
is that the thing is we have to heal from those stories, right? And then bring all of that into who we are. When I heal from my past, it's then I can stand up and I can say, yes, I'm Reverend Tawanda Prelo, but there's a whole lot to Reverend Tawanda Prelo. That's my whole story. And own that story. Yeah, so one, I think, you're about to take us to church and to counseling at the same time. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's I'm great. Sorry. No, don't apologize. That's great. <laughs> I know there are people that publicly share their stories, right? When you say own your story, you're, are you not necessarily saying like publicly, right? But more like internally or with at least one other person. What do you exactly mean? Can you say more about that? You don't have to stand up and say loud, right? Right, okay. Right, exactly. But when I mean by own my whole story, because I'm not going to walk around saying this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. That's That's not what I'm saying. But when I say own your whole story, there are times where you need to tell part of who you are. Mm. You need to tell that part of your story. And sometimes we shrink back from that. Mm -hmm. But there are times when you get in spaces where you need to say, hashtag me too. Mm -hmm. That's owning your story. So there are times where I need to tell this part of that story because it calls for it at that time. There are times when I need to tell this part of the story because the time calls for it. Mm -hmm. But there are times when it calls for my story and I shrink back. So that's how I'm owning my story. There are times and places where I stand and it calls for me to tell that story, but Mm -hmm. I shrink back. When you don't shrink back, you're owning your story. Yeah. Again, is it like that voice of God within us? Exactly. Calling us to tell our story. And then there are moments where you know this is a moment where you can share it. And then choosing not to is the shrinking back but choosing to lean into it and share it for the benefit of the people around you or whomever is there with you, or even for the benefit of yourself to own it and to share it and to maybe even give hope. Exactly. You give hope to the next person. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your wise words just about speaking up and about owning your story and in the midst of also caring well for yourself. And as we mentioned hope, and there's so much, right? I mean, we have the pandemic going on. I mean, racism has always been part of our country, but right now I think just it being a prominent conversation can be exhausting. We can easily turn on the news or go onto social media and be filled with despair. And so I'm curious where you are finding hope these days. I have to say one of the ways in which I'm finding hope is seeing our young adults on the front line. Mm -hmm. And too often we say our young adults are not doing anything. And I don't think we give them enough credit. I'm talking about 19 to 35 years of age and specifically in the African-American community. And we are being led right now in a time in our country, I believe, by young adults. Mm They are showing up. They are speaking up. They are saying no more. And so I'm finding hope in listening to their voices. I'm finding hope in just seeing glimpses of God 
And what I mean by that is we see so much negativity in the media, television, social media. You turn that on every day and you're bombarded with negative messages. But mm-hmm. you also can turn it on and you can see God. Yeah. You know, you see God in, in God's people. You can turn on social media and you see the church now. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Right? You see, yeah. You see the church. And so I'm finding hope in that. You know, I'm finding hope in our buildings are closed, but the church is active. The body of Mm -hmm. Christ is active. And I'm finding hope in that. I'm finding hope in when I call one of my members and they are just excited to talk to their pastor as I am excited to talk to them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see hope when we have worship on Sunday on Zoom and when we finish worship. Our church is saying, hey, 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 you know, finding ways to connect and talk with each other, right? I'm seeing hope in the many ways in which people are, you know, as much as we see what's going on in our society and how racism has raised its ugly head, but there's still hope. There's still people that's crossing color lines, right? And showing up hand in hand with each other. And that gives me hope. Absolutely. Well, and praise God for the young adults. I appreciate that you brought up just the way that they, especially their speaking out is bringing hope. I see that too, even just in my children, you know, they're eight to 12 years old. They're not young adults yet by any means, but even just their own process of seeing things differently from a young age than I ever did brings me a lot of hope as well. So yes, yes. Hopefully we don't have to rely on the young people though, to make change that hopefully even older people are learning and listening and growing. And I find some hope in that as well. Yes. So we like to conclude the podcast with the same question to all of our guests. Is there a particular quote, scripture, song, or other set of words that has been meaningful to you lately? Can you share about why it resonates with you during this time? I want to share something that came up as we were talking. Okay. And that is, there's a poem by Marion Williamson, and it's called Our Deepest Fear. And I'm not going to share the whole poem, but I thought of that when you came back with the question of owning your story. I thought of that poem and why it's important to own your story and speak your story and tell your story. She says in her poem, and I want to quote this, she says, as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Hmm. And so I thought of that when we were talking about story, because When I tell my story, it unconsciously gives the next person permission to tell theirs. Yes. Read that second line again, the part about when we are liberated. It says, as we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Wow. That stops me in my tracks because I know that it's true. You know, you experience that in people around you that have been liberated from their fear that have have found healing and just even 
you can, you just know in their presence. Exactly. Because when you are liberated from your fear, it takes you to another level of confidence. And when you go to another level of confidence, you show up differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people notice it. And that presence automatically liberates others because when I see that in you, I say to myself, I either say, I want that. I want the healing that she has. I want to be liberated from my own fears. I want to be able to walk in that type of confidence. So when I'm liberated from my fears, my presence automatically liberates others. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tawanda, for being on the podcast. What a stunning quote to end on. And I'm just really grateful for you sharing your story and offering your time and your wisdom with us today. So thank you so much. You are so welcome. And thank you, Caroline, for inviting me to be here with you today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond. This is Caroline Trissick, and information about our guests can be found on our podcast page at thewell.intervarsity.org slash podcasts. This has been a production of Women in the Academy and Professions, a focused ministry initiative of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. We value the contribution of podcast guests who are not employed by InterVarsity, and we acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may or may not represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. Thank you for joining our conversation as we engage in faith and life together. We'd love to hear your feedback. To share your thoughts or to learn more about who we are or the resources and connections we provide, we invite you to visit us at our online gathering place, The Well. You can find us at thewell.intervarsity.org.